Welcome back to an episode of Backlash Podcast. We're fresh off the Chicago Muskie Expo, and we're going to talk to Chris Reby about southern muskie fishing destinations. Probably going to be a little shorter episode than what we've um, previously done, but maybe slightly longer than what we've done the last two weeks. I want to thank everybody for coming out and seeing us at the show. It was um, it was a good turnout despite you know challenging times. We um, still had a you know fun time at the show. It was great to meet a lot of people. I'm sure Brad, you got to talk to a few few people that listen to the podcast. I'm guessing. Yeah, absolutely, Jeff. It's amazing to me how many people came and and at least let me know that they listen. And uh, it's a good feeling knowing that uh, maybe we're trying to make a difference here. Yeah, I've had a few people that say, "Hey." really appreciate what you guys do every week. You know, it, it's helped shorten my learning curve and things like that. So for that, we thank you all for stopping out at the show. We thank you all for listening every single week to our podcast. Uh, for without that, it'd just be me, Brad, and a random guest every week just talking stupid. It may sound a little bit different because, Brad, I haven't been around that many people and talked to that many people in the last two years. My voice is a little, uh, it's in a little rough shape the last couple of days. It's crazy. Yeah, I understand, Jeff. I, uh, I'm in the same boat. Might have got a little touch of a cold here, but uh, I'm doing good. Kind of nice to be settling back in and getting right back into the normal work schedule again. So we're finally post-show you know, show prep. We'll have another show coming up in Milwaukee in roughly a month, and so I'll have a little bit of work to do there. But we should be able to you know, get back to our regularly scheduled podcasts here in the very near future. In fact, Brad, I think we're going on vacation for a week and so you and i actually got to do a little bit of work here in the next little bit and try to get ahead on some stuff yeah absolutely jeff you deserve it you need to get out and uh get away from that shop for a little bit but i'm gonna still be here just banging out baits i guess (laughs) that's good at least one of us is gonna be getting something done yeah we'll see right now it's snow removal again so (laughs) (laughs) It's uh, pretty much been that all the time. I mean, as per usual, speaking of snow removal, you know, had a little bit of fun driving to the Chicago show, Brad. I know that it was probably even worse for you, but Thursday morning, you know, per typical for a show season, we, uh, you know, we got to have bad weather at some point. For the course of a show, you have to have it either on Thursday for travel, Friday during the show, Saturday during the show, or Sunday on your way home. Something has to, you have to have some sort of weather. And I know you had, you dealt with much of the same. I really did, Jeff. Uh, I usually leave on Wednesday, go hang out in Madison with my buddy, Billy Beekner. Specifically, we left earlier Wednesday just so that we could get down there and hang out a little longer than normal. I think about an hour south of my place, I hit black ice, and that did not end all the way to Eau Claire, Wisconsin. We ended up pulling in and getting a hotel. It was uh, pretty hairy, I will say that. We had, uh, I can't even tell you, 20, 30 wrecks that we've seen in that little distance. We left uh, Thursday morning from McClare to Chicago and basically drove black ice all the way to Madison again. So my normal eight and a half hour trip to to Chicago ended up being 25 hours with an overnight stay. So that was fun. That sounds awesome. That's part of the show season, I guess. You know, it, it happens every single year. This isn't any any new uh, new thing. I'm sure at some point in Milwaukee we'll have to deal with it. Of course, in Chicago we had to deal with a little bit of freezing rain on Saturday afternoon too, so that was great. Yeah, that made it interesting, Jeff. I, I think you could have probably ice skated across that parking lot, that's for sure. Yeah, you know, the funny part about it is I usually actually pack, 
salt for some of these shows just in case of you know something like that happens and we need to load up by our trailer we'll throw some salt down or try to clear things out but one of the few things i forgot i mean surprisingly without being at shows for the past two years we didn't need to make a menards run which is that's rare well that's that's pretty good i i was a little nervous i have to say i mean two years later repacking that trailer i'm like man am i gonna forget something and on top of it we ended up buying a new trailer so that was an event in itself but uh everything panned out really well we had everything that we needed and we made it right through the show mm-hmm. so yeah looking forward to seeing everybody again in milwaukee and like we said earlier you know brad and i we can't thank everybody enough that came out and it, we're kind of blown away by how many people actually you know said they listened to the podcast and that it was great because, you know, I mean, it's good to get, re- you know, reaffirmed that real people actually listen to the podcast. I see download numbers, but, you know, it's it's cooler when, when you can put a face with a name, too. It's good to meet a few people, you know, that I see orders from or emails from. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that's the beauty of the shows, Jeff, is actual, you know, face-to-face conversation. You know, it's, it happens once a year at a lot of these shows with a lot of people, so... It's uh, it's always incredible. That's for sure. Yep, that's for sure. So if you're still looking for gear, you didn't make it out to the show, check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. We have a, um, you know, you're, we're your source for musky gear. That's kind of why we do part of why we do this podcast is to give back. But it's also, you know, this is our one time to get anything out of the podcast. So if you like what we do here, check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com for your source for musky gear. And Brad, if somebody needs something from you, how do they go about doing that? You know, it's really simple. It's muskymayhemtackle.com. You can check out our website. You can order direct from us or any different retailer that's out there. But we really uh, enjoy talking to the people at the shows and uh, appreciate all of that business. And don't be afraid. You can go check out our pro staff profiles. We've been releasing them since the beginning of the year on our YouTube channel or check us out on Instagram or as well Facebook. All right, Brad, it's about enough for me. I got to get rolling. I got to get some orders out the door yet. I got to get this podcast edited for anybody that cares. It's a, Again, th- it's a Tuesday before a Wednesday release. It seems to be a, a trend that I, don't, I guess I would say I don't really like, but hopefully we'll fix that up in the near future. Yeah, I hope so, Jeff, for your own sake. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go uh, get Chris on the phone. Our guest this week is Chris Reby, Shawnee Expeditions. And the purpose of having Chris on is we're going to talk about Southern Muskie destinations. Chris, thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me. So, Chris, a lot of guys in the uh, north, they're starting to uh, want to scratch the itch. I know the Chicago show helped some of them scratch it. But, um, you know, if guys are looking to get out and fish, obviously there's a bunch of opportunities in the south. Why don't you talk a little bit about, you know, where you kind of spend your winters and early spring. You know, for us it would be... You know, still kind of like winter because March is still kind of wintry for us. But for you guys, uh, musky season really kicks off down there uh, in March, I believe. Yeah, I uh, I spend the month of March on Lake Kincaid, uh, guiding with Scott, um, doing the uh, spring rattle bite and you know, a lot of small baits with the bunch and twenty two shorts and stuff. Great opportunity for some really big pre spawn fish. And then uh, through the winter, you know, I live in my camper down in Tennessee, really just taking a break, enjoying myself, kind of chasing giants, hoping to get a big one. And uh, I spent a lot of time fishing Melt Hill Reservoir and also quite a few rivers in middle Tennessee. So, Chris, for people looking to come down to Melton Hill in Tennessee, let's talk about that a little bit. How big is it? 
Uh, Melton Hill is 5,700 acres, but it spans 173 miles of shoreline. Uh, the reservoir has like a river structure with lots of coves. So even being 6,000 acres, it, it fishes like a much larger lake. In the wintertime, most of the muskies are contained in one area. They're already making their spawning migration. So you could, you can find them all over the entire lake. They are dispersed and in some uh, feeder creeks and coves down the lake. But the majority of the fish were put in the upper end of the reservoir. And especially in recent years, most fish have been stocked up in Bull Run Creek. Uh, they used to stock them at Solway, in Road, the uh, park in the middle, Mount Hill Park in the middle of the lake. But now, nowadays, they're focusing their stocking more in the upper end of the lake. So in the winter, the migration these fish make is keeping them in the upper end. You can really kind of narrow down your spots. Not exactly shooting fish in a barrel, but definitely uh, narrows the search down a little bit. Yeah, it, it takes some time. You got to stay on the shad. Um, you really have to do a lot of research. The fish move around quite a bit, but usually, if you, you can find small packs of fish that are moving together, and you can stay on the bite for a few days, and then maybe you have to move a little bit. But also, the reservoir, uh, the main channel of the reservoir is quite deep. Um, so these these fish. There's, there's nothing holding them in a certain depth or they, they, I believe a lot of them slide out in the middle of the channel at certain times during the day and then slide back up tight to the bank. So it can be, it can be tough, but there's a lot of good fish opportunity and some really big fish. Let's talk a little bit about pressure. Do these fish see a lot of baits or is it kind of, you know, off the beaten path a little bit? Um, in the wintertime, I, I rarely see anybody else. You know, from time to time, I'll see a couple guys out there. Uh, the last, like, five years in the winter, there was really hardly anybody fishing the winter musky bite. It was it was great. Being there, I, I just kept thinking, I'm like, I can't believe there's nobody here. You know, I would never see anybody. But the last couple of years, um, COVID, people with time off work, there's been a little bit more pressure, but nothing compared to what we see in Wisconsin and Minnesota and even Illinois. Not even close. So, Chris, is this somewhere that you guide as well, or are you not guiding during the winter months? I mean, what's your, you said kind of a vacation, if you will. Yeah, I'm just taking it easy down there. Um, I'll probably be guiding down there next year in the wintertime. Uh, this year, I, I bought a new house that I was rehabbing. I'm kind of going back and forth, just enjoying myself, fishing with friends, and taking it easy. Well, there's probably a good uh, reason that you've chosen that body of water, I would assume. Uh, you've had the opportunity to fish in a lot of different places all over the south as well as the north, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah. I've, uh, I travel around as much as I can in the winter, um, trying out new places. And this is one of the few places where I've seen um, multiple double nickel size fish. I mean, there's definitely like 54, 55 inch potential. Every winter, I'll usually get one really close to the 40-pound class fish. Even these upper 48, 49-inch fish that are carrying a 23-and-a-half-inch girth to 24-inch girth, like these, they're 38 to 40-pound fish, you know. And every year, we get a small handful of really heavy fish. So that's what makes it worth it to me to keep going back there and spending time there. That sounds like an absolute good reason. <laughs> that's for sure. You know, it's always amazed me, those reservoir fish, how fat they can be and they hold their weight really good, you know, and then on top of it, you're fishing uh, pre-spawn fish, which is even more incredible. Yeah, there's no, and these fish have no shortage of food. Um, you know, in Tennessee, we, the skipjack herring, which 
I've often thought, um, you know, for a long time I thought I don't know if they eat a lot of skipjacks because the skipjacks, they call them Tennessee tarpon. They're really fast. They definitely can swim faster than a muskie, so they're probably pretty hard for them to get a hold of. But a lot of the skipjacks are 16 plus inches, and uh, the gizzard shad there get big. And one of the other things is like threadfin shad. In Illinois, we have threadfin shad. And um, that's really their most northern limit, but they're stocked as like a supplemental food for mostly to keep the bass fishery up. But by us, they die off at like 39, 40 degrees. There's a lot of big die off, so they never get the chance to get big. But the thread pins in, in Tennessee being native, like they're five, six, seven inches. So those are, there's so much food, the fish can just get huge. You know, the main forage, obviously, you've dialed in on that. Let's talk about baits. What are, what are you actually attacking out there, Chris? I mean, what baits are you using, and um, and where are you normally seeing these fish throughout the winter months? Um, we twitch a lot of uh, big crankbaits, slide baits, shallowbaiters are a great option, uh, 10-inch jakes, uh, balsa big games are really good if you can get your hands on them. Anything that you can work erratically, twitch, keep near the surface has been good. There's also times when, depending on the bite, you know, slow rolling Poseidons, uh, working Medusas and Bulldogs, that works as well. Um, working toads out of the trees. But most of the fishing that I do is in creek mouths, river bends, deep holes, springs, and fishing a lot of lay downs of the river where you've got a, a bend in the river with a, a deep hole in the outside bend like those are the winter locations to to key in on you know almost anywhere you have a deeper pocket of water and nice lay down trees and if you can combine the bait you'll almost always find the musky there is there a time that you use live bait down there at all chris my buddy's two pounder and michael pressy that Scotty Papalski fishes the PMTT with Tony Grant. They they came down in January last year. I'm not a big live bait fisherman. You, you could catch your own skipjack, use them for live bait, and you can definitely catch fish on them. I do recommend biting them quick, doing like a quick strike rig. Like with, we've had a lot of problems. There was a lot of problems in the area in the past with guys putting them on a circle hook and a balloon, a lot of fish dying in the steam plant. You know, and it, it's not really of a, malicious thing kind of uneducated uh people that don't know a lot of muskies and know a lot about muskies in the south you know they just mean this is an easy way to catch them you know but uh these buddies mine i was talking about they, they came down last year in january and they had like 20 suckers left from the uh turkey bowl in kentucky that they had brought around with them and they brought them down and we got quite a few fish on suckers it was fun we were running them like on a weight like 10 feet down off the back of the boat while we were fishing this pressure tight to shore but the boat was over 25 feet of water and we got quite a few bites and got a pretty big one uh one that was like 47 inches but it's really fat yeah my myself i'm not a live bait fisherman either but it's kind of interesting i've heard a bunch of different things about some southern reservoirs where guys are are using more live bait and even dead bait and i i just kind of found that interesting you know i mean i i've always known that some guys will haul some suckers down there and do some musky fishing in the, in the winter time. But I was just curious, you know, my opinions with live bait, I, I don't know. I'm trying to catch them, not feed them, I guess. It's kind of the way I've always looked at it. And I know there's a lot of people that look down at me for saying that, but 
it's uh i want to trick them i want to i want to catch them so that's my opinion yeah it's not something that i i do very regularly i've i've honestly only done it a couple times just because these guys bought some suckers and it was like why not give it a try but for guys that want to do it big fish outfitters in uh is located right near the dam in melt hill it's a really really nice bait shop it's, it's really like the premier bait shop in the knoxville area they have a small um musky selection but they also have a lot of live they sell live bait there and sometimes they have trout which i know a lot of the guys from wisconsin that like to live bait fish and fish fuckers would love to run a rainbow trout and it's legal there and you can buy rainbow trout and you can run rainbow trout and that's uh that's something a lot of guys I've talked to. They're like, why aren't you running trout? Like, that's unbelievable. I wish I could do that here. And they, they want to come down just so they could run trout, you know, because they think it would be, that it would work so well. Does Melton Hill ever see ice or can you, are you pretty much guaranteed to fish all year round? It's guaranteed that you can fish all year round. I don't know. I've spent the last eight years there. I'm not in the winter, but I spent the last six years there pretty much the whole winter. And I've only seen ice once. And it was just in one of the creek arms, and it was such skim ice that I drove through it, busted it up to get out to the lake, and then um, later in the day it was gone. And I'd, I've only seen that happen one time. It's pretty uncommon to see it freeze anywhere, um, especially with the way everything, all of the waters in Tennessee pretty much are controlled by the TVA all through hydroelectric dams. So above Mount Hill, we have Norris Lake, which is, I believe, it's a sluicing dam. And I believe the water comes out somewhere around like 180 feet down. So you're getting this constant inflow of water from that enormous lake that never really gets below 50 degrees because it's coming from so deep, you know, and it'll, it'll cool down through the upper Clinch river on its way into mountain hill, but we rarely see temperatures on the reservoir much below 45 degrees. Speaking of that, there's something I wanted to talk about. There's one thing I've noticed is like later in the year in the winter, uh, through the Melton Hill Reservoir, it will start to clear up so much. And as it gets cold and there's not a lot of biomass in the water, the shad seem to migrate into the coves. And they'll go into these creeks and coves where the water's a little bit dirtier. And I believe the only reason they're there is because there's more biomass. So it goes against a lot of what I've talked about in the past with temperatures. I mean, sometimes we'll see these creeks at like 39, 40 degrees and the shad are moving really slow and they're dying off and their fins are red. They got red spots all over them and it's like what what are they doing in here when they're not comfortable and they're dying when they could be out in the main channel and be more comfortable but i believe that there's no food there for them and that's one of the winter patterns as well that really key in on that can be really good is locating those shad when the water gets coldest in the main reservoir moving into the creek mouth and channels and uh, that's that's a really good bite towards the end of january so chris moving on Let's talk about Kincaid. I know a lot of people think of Kincaid as like a March musky bite. I know I do. Is that, am I, am I wrong by thinking that? Is there a good bite there in January and February as well? Yeah, January. So Scott and I, when the musky show used to be later, um, like this year it was the 6th of January, but back 10 years ago, it was typically more towards the 20th of January, I believe, more towards the middle end of January. Scott and I would always go out like the week before the show to try to get a big one, you know, so that when we went to the booth that we could show like, Oh, we caught this fish last. We've caught some of our biggest fish in January, um, doing the trolling. 
the winter months in Kincaid, like you could go down there right now and fish. We have had a cold spell. We might have some ice in the marina. I haven't been there. I haven't talked to Scott in a few days because he's having a baby any day. Uh, his wife was due on Friday, so he didn't make it to the show. She doesn't have the baby by tomorrow. They will. They have an appointment set up, you know. So I don't know how much Scott's been to the lake in the last week, but we could have a little bit of ice. But during the winter time, that usually only lasts a week during our coldest periods. And during the warm-ups, you can get out on the lake and there's nobody out there locating gizzard shad um, suspended near your deeper breaks on the main lake and in the northwest arm. If you locate the shad and troll um, separators, ernies, We've caught them on hookers, 13-inch grandmas, 10-inch jakes, anything that you can get down there a little bit deeper. We've had really good success catching some really big uh, pelagic winter muskies before they move up into their spawning areas. So, Chris, I know that you don't do, you know, you're not over there in Tennessee guiding, but this is obviously a bite that you guys do guide for. If people want to get in touch with you guys to book a trip, how do they go about doing that? Shawneeguides.com or on the Shawnee Expeditions Facebook page. Um, either sending Scott or I a message on Facebook, we'll get back to you right away. All right, so let us let me ask you this question. If somebody's looking to go south, which month is the best month to be in Tennessee chasing muskies, and which month is the best month to be in Illinois chasing muskies? More, more specifically, probably the Kincaid area, since you're the most familiar with that. The best time to get to catch muskies in Tennessee and to catch the biggest muskies in Tennessee would be in early the month of February, all the way through the month of February. These Tennessee muskies, I believe they start making their spawning migration back towards um, areas where they were stocked into these reservoirs and rivers as early as November. You know, they're starting to move back up the system, but they just become more and more concentrated and easier to find. And the big fish usually tend to show up towards the end of February. You know, I'll, I'll fish there every day all year, and then all of a sudden there will be like a week time period where it's like just multiple big fish everywhere you go. All these spots I've been fishing over and over and catching a lot of like 38 to 45 inch fish, and then all of a sudden a lot of these big upper 40s and little 50 inch fish show up. As far as March goes on Kincaid, or as far as Kincaid goes, March is your best time to pre-spawn fish and a lot of fish. Last March in the first two weeks, Scott and I had a lot of guide trips, so we were out there every day, but in the first two weeks of March on Kincaid, which are two boats, we got 47 fish. Every one of our clients and not only like every trip, but everybody in the boat had a fish, so like we had we had probably the best spring that we've ever had in March last year. So Chris, if somebody's coming down, what's the typical tactic that, they're, that you're using in that time frame? Mainly we're throwing the Tony Grant series lunge and rattle traps. And um, <clears throat> also, though, 22 short FSs and the 22 shorts will fish like center to the mouth of the creek channels with the crankbaits and up in the back and tighter to the bank with the rattle trap. Also, letting the rattle traps working them down, letting them sink for a little bit and slowing your retrieve and getting them down in the center of the creek channel works really good. But it's all lighter action rods, you know, I use the chaos surgical strike eight foot or eight foot six rods with either a, uh, trans 400 or I like the 1315. A, I believe they're like the a ones. Is that what they are? 
Uh, the A3. A3. Yeah, sorry. The A3 reels. That's what I have set up for clients, and we use fifty pound test line, the small spring leaders. Like these, these fish are really fun to catch on uh, this lighter, lighter gear. You know, last year the biggest fish that I got in the boat with uh, Tony Catalano. He got on a rattle trap, and it was uh, 47 and a half by 22 and a half. It probably was 31, 32-pound fish, maybe bigger, depending on what was in its belly, but it was huge. And, like, the fight that it puts up on that lighter gear, like, is a ton of fun. Hey, Brad, is that a place you've ever fished, Kincaid? I've never been to Kincaid. Um, I've been in a few other reservoirs throughout the South, but not Kincaid. And it was kind of interesting. I mean, we used to hear about Kincaid all the time. And uh, over the last 10, 12 years, it's really kind of went silent. Would you agree with that, Chris? Yeah, after uh, after Chad stopped guiding on the lake, it didn't get as much press. You know, Chad did a lot of promotion for the lake and did a lot of work. And he really passed it towards to Scott. And I started helping Scott. And that worked out good. But we, you know, we were at the show this year. We haven't been at the show in the last, four or five years um so it it hasn't got you don't hear about it as much it definitely still gets a lot of uh angling pressure from the people in illinois and all the past guys that we've guided and chad guided it it there's a lot of guys fishing but i guess you don't hear as much about it as you used to i mean we have an excellent stocking program it's 2750 acres and we get a half a fish per acre annually so some years i'll put 1,350 fish in or 1,375 and then other years if there's a gap it gets 2,750 and we're definitely seeing an uptick in the last two years of a lot of mid to upper 40 inch fish like we're seeing a, we're seeing a lot of bigger fish right now and the lake is fishing maybe better than it has in 10 years. Well that's awesome news. I What is the average uh, fish size that you're catching Chris? I mean, we'll catch a lot of mid 30 inch fish. There's a lot of 35, 36, 38 inch fish, a lot of fish right around 40 to 45. And then a fish larger than 45 in Kincaid would be what's considered a trophy. You know, we don't have a lot of, we don't have a lot of 50 inches, but we do have a lot of solid, heavy fish. And all these fish are, are fat in a spring full of eggs. So they're, they're all like pound for pound. They're, they're really nice muskies. Um, but we don't have the, we don't have the trophy 15 inch fishery, but I've been, you know, I had a couple guys come up to me in the booth in Chicago last week and they were like, I love fish Kincaid. They're like, whenever I bring somebody for the first time, two places to go where you're almost guaranteed to get a first time or a musty is Kincaid or Lake St. Clair, you know? So it's like Lake St. Clair, we all know it has a lot of fish and a lot of people get fish there and it's a place where fish can maybe be easier to catch at times because it has such an abundance of fish. Kincaid is kind of like that. We don't have the trophy fish in Lake St. Clair, but we have a lot of fish. So um, it's a good place to get somebody their first fish for sure. Well, there's definitely nothing wrong with that. That's for sure, Chris. You know, and for the boys up north here, <laughs> you think about it, it's just another opportunity to get out on the water earlier than they normally would, could or would. Oh, yeah. And like I, I was telling people at the show, guys stepping by with their wives and the kids there's so many other opportunities for outdoor activities in southern illinois you know we've got the shawnee national forest with tons of trails garden of the gods there's a there's a really wonderful wine trail through southern illinois um lots of local breweries 
excellent barbecue. Like there's a lot of fun things to do other than just the fishing down there. So it's, it's really a great family destination for vacation. Not a bad idea. Take the kid, the wife, the kids down, Brad, do some fishing, let them go check out a thing, couple things. And then maybe you go, you know, jump in there once in a while. I think that, uh, sounds like a, a great Southern destination to get away from, well, what is it? Two degrees out today. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and not only that, but I, you know, it's a lot closer than a lot of the other reservoirs that uh, we could talk about throughout the South. So, you know, as far as the destination goes, you can be there pretty relatively quick, I would say. Yeah, it's five and a half hours from Chicago, Madison, what that put it like seven and a half. It's not too bad compared to driving down to Tennessee. It's nine and a half from Chicago. And as you get into Wisconsin, Minnesota, it's just further and further. So, Chris, one thing I want to ask you about is, let's say your average angler has like a 16, 17-foot aluminum boat. I'm assuming for Kincaid, that's not going to be an issue? No, not at all. Kincaid, we rarely, I mean, if the wind's really blowing out of the right direction, we might get two two-foot waves, but it's it's uh, no problem to fish out there in a John boat or anything else. And Scott and I actually... We now have a, a Lund rental boat, a 14-foot Lund rental that with, uh, you know, it's, it's a nice little boat, kind of like a Canadian outdoor boat with a brand new 25-horse on it, um, pulling motor crafts. We rent it for 150 a day. And if guys want to come down, they don't want to haul the boat. They want to fish with us for a day or not fish with us at all and rent the boat. We can also set them up with spots to camp out on the lake. There's, you know, being in the middle of the national forest, it's a, uh, there's no, there's only a couple houses that you can see from the lake, and it's really the wilderness experience. There's a lot of rural campsites you can get to by the water only, and uh, it's, a, it's a great opportunity to, to take the rental boat out and go by yourself if you want to. All right, Chris, we're fresh off the Chicago show, so I'm still running a little short on time. You know, again, if they're looking to get down there and enjoy some early season fishing in the Kincaid area, Illinois area, how do they go about doing that again? com, or you could reach Scott at 618-201-5820 or myself at 630-327-9265 and Facebook is always a great way to get a hold of us. Thanks for having me on today, guys. I really appreciate it. It was good to see everybody at Chicago and great to see the turnout and all the all the great color baits you guys brought. Yeah, thanks, Chris. We really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. I know you got a few things going down there in Chicago before you hit the road. We want to thank all of our listeners again for putting up with us for another episode, and we'll catch everybody again with a new episode next week. Thanks a lot.